0: Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining us again is Phil Kirpin, my friend Phil Kirpin from AmericanCommitment.org, the president of AmericanCommitment.org. We're going to talk a little bit about price fixing uh, of uh, of pharmaceuticals. And uh, this is because the Biden administration's about ready to to start setting some prices for, I'm assuming
1: Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, Phil, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, well, they're going to they're going to have the secretary of HHS announce the 10 drugs that are subject to price negotiation.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, And the reason they use the word negotiation is it pulls really well everyone who's against that. Oh, you negotiate a better price. So it's you know, it's uh, it sounds great, pulls off the charts. They want that to be the word that's in all the headlines. Uh, But the way they wrote this bill, and this was in the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, they always use the words that sound good instead of describing what things actually are. So they put this in the Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, it's basically the secretary of HHS setting the price. But instead of being honest and saying the secretary of HHS is going to pick 10 drugs and set the price, they say the secretary of HHS is going to select 10 drugs for negotiation. Uh, However, if the negotiation fails... If the manufacturer and the secretary do not agree on a price, then the manufacturer is subject to a 95% excise tax on their total gross sales of that product for the last year. Not profits, total gross sales, 95%. So which is to say they're going to confiscate all your total gross sales of the product if you don't accept their price, which would put basically any company out of business. So the whole point of the negotiation, the whole point of that charade, is so they can have headlines about how what they're doing is negotiation it'll in practice be exactly the same as if they had just said the secretary will pick 10 drugs and set the price and we've already seen a big adverse impact of this they're not going to talk about this probably in any of the stories and they're you know it's going to be so wonderful all the money that's being saved and it's going to be nauseating all next week when they do this rollout Uh, but uh, we've already seen about a dozen cancer drug trials cancelled, and uh, that's because when pharmaceutical companies are considering what drugs to develop, uh, what's driven a lot of that research uh, and it's very expensive to develop new drugs and bring them to market in part because it's just an expensive endeavor I can you know but but also in part because the regulatory burdens are very, very high uh, but you know the way that the economics of that work is you know you're probably gonna have a lot of drugs that don't result in anything at all, or might be, you know, minor successes for a small population of people, what have you. But occasionally, you're going to have some huge blockbuster that gets adopted by millions and millions of people. And you're, you know, until the patent life expires, you're gonna have 10, 10 years where you just make insane amounts of money. And that's what drives the whole industry. And that's kind of how they get the Return on capital to justify all the other things that they do. And you know, maybe it's not the greatest model in the world, but it's it's the one we have and it's the one that's driven all this medical innovation. Now the now when you're considering developing a product, now you have to think, okay, I don't want to be in the top ten most successful drugs because then this I'm going to be subject to price control, so you know the the calculations change a lot. Now you want, a drug that maybe won't be exp- as expensive to develop, but is more sure to be a slight improvement over something that already exists. And you can get a little bit of a, you, know, you can get a good return, but not a great return, stay off that top 10 list. And so it really creates some bizarre incentives uh, to try to avoid having one of the 10 most successful drugs, which are then gonna be subject um, to price controls. And so it, we've already, as a consequence of that, seen a lot of, drug trials canceled, and in particular cancer drugs. And uh, there's an economist at the University of Chicago, Thomas Phillipson, who uh, estimates that the decline in private sector R&D in cancer drugs as a consequence of Inflation Reduction Act is nine times the size of the increase in federal funding for cancer drugs under Biden's cancer moonshot. So he said, oh, we're shooting for the moon. Here's some federal money. Oh, and by the way, we're going to change the rules in the private market to take nine times as much money out of cancer research. So I think this is going to be a really big negative. Um, unfortunately, most Republicans just want to change the subject when this comes up. They don't want to engage in these arguments and explain it. And so the Democrats have largely had a sort of free field. And I hope you know that the White House does get you know some significant pushback when they're doing all their self-congratulatory events around this over the next week. Well, I, I mean.
0: First off, the whole ninety-five percent, you know, excise tax on gross receipts, reminds me of the Monty Python uh, skit where you got the two guys you know, with the sunglasses going, you know, a nice business you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it. I mean, the, the idea that this was a negotiation is right. uh, somewhat ludicrous under uh, with that
1: that in context. It's sort of an ethics or an honesty test for media. Uh, If you see a whole bunch of stories that keep saying negotiation, negotiate, you know those are sort of dishonest people. And I think that is basically all we're going to see around this rollout. But you're absolutely right. Uh, It's a fake negotiation. They might as well just do price setting. The only reason they don't just do price setting is they want to be able to say it's negotiation. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's deception for the sole purpose of deception, essentially. Right. Right. Well, and and...
0: Deception is what this is because the other thing there's there's an even more fundamental deception here, which is that you're actually going to be saving cost. You're not saving cost. You're saving price, and when you do that, it comes at a cost, and the cost is usually uh, shortage. People right. don't get
1: incentives, right? I mean, this is and this look, is what price control, caps Price controls, time. price controls always cause shortages, um, and. When you price control a commodity, like when you put price controls on oil or gasoline, the shortages are obvious, you get long lines, people get angry, and then the price controls end up being removed. I think price controls for prescription drugs are a little bit more dangerous in that you know if a new drug isn't developed, people won't know that they're missing out on that new drug. So they won't necessarily have the same kind of backlash that leads to the ending of those price controls. And in fact, Uh, Most countries in the world, most rich countries in the world, do have some form of price controls on prescription drugs, and as a consequence, they don't get new drugs when we do. They usually get them a few years later uh, because the companies are, you know, they don't don't have the same incentive to sell in at a government price than they do when they can get, you know, much larger returns in the U.S., typically when a new drug is available. but they get away with it because we shoulder that burden, right? <laughs> we drive sort of all that medical research I. And, and you know, this is actually something that Trump was very right about, uh, this idea that if other rich countries paid more for prescription drugs, we could meet them in the middle and pay less. or if we paid didn't pay less, we'd get more drugs uh, if we got foreign countries to loosen up their price controls. And, you know, one of the things that people always tell me is you're never going to convince another country to pay more for drugs. That's just crazy Trump being Trump. But, the truth is he actually got Canada and Mexico to agree to pay more for biotech drugs in USMCA, and that was one of the provisions that Nancy Pelosi demanded be removed before they passed it. Right. And, right. and so we actually did convince other countries to pay more for drugs, and uh, it was removed because uh, I don't know why Nancy Pelosi is insane. I guess that was one of the strangest things. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, we will. You know, it's not it's not a free lunch. But the other thing that Democrats did in this Inflation Reduction Act, and I actually think this is an even bigger political opportunity for Republicans than talking about why price controls are bad, which requires you to have some understanding of economics and can be challenging in a campaign context. Almost all of the savings to the government from the big cuts and what they're going to spend on prescription drugs because of these price controls are taken out of Medicare in Inflation Reduction Act and just used as a pay for in the bill. So they end up going to, you know, solar panel manufacturers and electric vehicles and all of the other stuff that's in that bill that's totally unrelated to Medicare and that's totally unrelated to providing any kind of benefit to seniors. Uh, You know, only something like 10% of the savings to government from these price controls are put back into Medicare in the form of, you know, the out-of-pocket cap and they've got some changes to a couple of, so it's not zero, but it's very little of the money that government saves through imposing price controls on prescription drugs that actually is used in Medicare or is used to benefit seniors. Uh, overwhelmingly, they use this as a piggy bank for unrelated spending. And that is, to me, the absolute grand slam home run political argument. And we did a poll recently with something like 90% of seniors said they thought it was wrong that the, medic- the money for Medicare change from changes to Medicare prescription drugs and inflation reduction act went to unrelated spending. And you know, I would hope that every Republican candidate next year has got some line in one of their speeches about how, you know, Biden's so-called inflation reduction act cut $280 billion in Medicare prescription drug spending and almost all of it went to, you know, green energy and all the other crap. I mean, you just have a list of all the crazy stuff that's in that bill and say that's what they took the Medicare money for. I mean, I'd be against price controls just on their own. Um, But that's a debate. I don't think there's any debate that if you think you can save hundreds of billions of dollars in Medicare, it should have been used to shore up Medicare, not used as a piggy bank for other unrelated spending. And I think that aspect of it is almost impossible to defend.
0: Well, I mean, all of this is really impossible to defend, except as a way to basically do a a shell game to try to backfill against the other spending, like you said. I mean, this is not even really that we're going to free up this money to spend it on solar panels. I mean if you had that in there it's like well you know we if we save this we can we can do more with developing you know renewable energy. That's not how it was that's not what really is happening here. What's happening is that they're going to spend that money anyway on solar panels and you know wind turbines and whatever else. This is just to backfill so that you could get the uh inflation reduction act through on reconciliation rather than putting it up for a 60 60 vote threshold in the Senate. It's a shell game, which was intended to shove this thing through because it wouldn't have passed otherwise.
1: Well, and of course, that score wasn't even honest. I mean, it wasn't even remotely accurate because remember, you know, there were about, you know, there was about, there was about 280 billion in Medicare Cuts or savings, I know they hate it when I say Medicare cuts. the fact checkers attack me. So whatever you want to call it, two hundred and eighty billion dollar reduction in Medicare expenditures in that bill was one of the big pay fors, and then they had about three hundred billion in taxes with the eighty thousand IRS agents and the new book tax and all this kind of stuff. And then they said that they're they basically said they're going to spend it all on. The all the renewable energy giveaways, all of the electric vehicle giveaways, all the other stuff uh, that was in there. And then they said they're still going to have, you know, hundreds of billions of deficit reduction. So this is great. It's going to lower inflation because deficit reduction, except the cost of the green energy giveaways. Has already more than doubled in a year from the original CBO estimate, and there're private sector estimates that have it four times higher than the original estimate. So, there's there are no deficit reduction. There is no savings. Uh, They're going to spend everything that they got out of tax hikes and Medicare changes, and then some. It's going to increase deficits. And so, in a way, you're right. It's not exactly that they took this money and spent it on this. It's they took this money. And they spent it, and they spent a whole bunch of other money that's going to end up being borrowed also, but it made the score look like there was deficit reduction, and that was how they were able to pass it, and Manchin was able to say, oh, see, I didn't break my word, and all that kind of thing.
0: Right. The whole thing was a dishonest shell game. And I mean, we're going to have that debate another time. I know American Commitment's got some thoughts on that, but right now what we're facing here is something that is going to make Americans less well in the long run, because we're going to have. Less innovation, we're going to have less research, uh, we're going to have fewer new drugs going through the testing pipeline uh, because of the price caps that are going to get applied if these things are actually successful. I mean, if you come up with a successful drug for a form of cancer, I'll just toss this one out here because it's been floating around. Uh, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend had pancreatic cancer. Um, you know, which is a deadly, it's a deadly form of cancer because usually you don't catch it in time. This particular person did um, because it's asymptomatic. You have to have, doctors have to be looking for something else. So if you come up with a, a drug that will treat it at a later stage and treat it successfully, it's going to be wildly popular. But if, the, if you're going to penalize drug manufacturers for, for doing that by making it impossible to, for it to be a profitable enterprise,
1: they're just simply not going to bother. Well, it, what it does, it changes the calculation, right? Because now instead of, you know, now now when you're looking at developing that drug, uh, you know, prior to Inflation Reduction Act, you're looking at developing that drug, you kind of kind of think, hey, okay, what are the probability that this drug will actually be successful? And that's probably low. It's, you know, two, three percent, whatever it might be. And then but what's the reward if it is? Well, it's however many billions of dollars. And then you can say, well. The, it's worth it. It's worth spending whatever it takes to develop it because if it's successful. But now you have to think, well, are we in danger of it being so successful that it makes the top 10 list and then the government whacks us? And so what it does is it puts a, it puts a ceiling on the potential returns. And right. you know, for some number, it's not going to be every drug, but for some number of drugs, they don't pass that analysis anymore when they would have before. And so I think that's why we've seen a number of trials canceled.
0: Well, and this is, this is the type of calculation that you're going to get. I mean, this is, you know, I don't think people really appreciate what it takes to bring a successful drug to market. It's, you know, in a way, it's kind of like finding a successful um, oil well, you know, uh, uh, you know, a um, like an ocean or sea oil well is that, you know, first off, you're probably going to hit, take two or three misses before you find one. And each one of those misses costs you about $80 million, right? So you're $240 million into something when you, on average, when you actually hit on something and you have to be able to produce enough to cover the entire cost of the failures as well as the success. And that's, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's at least
1: somewhat uh, uh, analogical well, to. Drugs are too expensive. So there's a real problem. And the causes of it and the solutions are very difficult. They're very difficult. It's much easier for politicians to just say, oh, we'll have government set the price than it is to fix the regulatory process so that it doesn't take forever and you need a million lawyers and You know the way it is now. They're basically like five companies that know how to navigate something through the FDA, and if you're not one of them, you need to partner with them or sell your company to them because just the regulatory maze is so overwhelming that you know unless you have significant wherewithal, it's very hard to get through that process. So we've got a big regulatory problem. We've got the trade problem that I mentioned before, where other countries get a free ride on us. So we're we're essentially carrying a burden that should be a global burden, or at least should be all the rich countries. And so we've got some issues, uh, you know, that could Significantly lower the cost of drugs in a way that doesn't disincentivize research and development, but they're very hard things to do. This is very right. easy. I oh, think Secretary will set the price, and I think that's the that's the um, that's the real danger here. Also, is that it's not going to stay limited to ten drugs. They're going to say, "Look how successful," they're going to expand it. They're going to expand that list. The next round will be they make it a fifty or hundred, and so you know, I I think that one of the problems we have, and I think this is one of the reasons that nobody scored political points against this in last year's election, I hope this doesn't happen again, is these, these are hard issues and it's hard yeah. to address them. And so what do politicians on the Republican side want to do? Just talk about something else, right? And change the subject. But when you do that, you let them get all of the credit and you're not explaining why what they're doing is actually a bad idea. And so, you know, I'm hoping um, that the Republican presidential candidates will, you know. Say something about all the hoopla we're going to see about these, uh, you know, these drugs being named next week, and we'll explain the downsides to people.
0: Well, you know, and you're right. I mean, it is, these are not easy issues. Abortion's not an easy issue either. It's another example of, you know, people running away from complex issues. But um, and part of the issue too on that is that if it was the top issue for the entire electorate, there might be some room for nuance and explanation, but there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of economic issues just in this election cycle. And there's not a lot of room for, well, yeah. we've got this one little narrow- Yeah, you know. but it's not
1: just drug pricing, Anna. we Republicans never wanna talk about healthcare at all. And that's a mistake in my judgment. I mean, I think we've never had more of an opportunity to really be aggressive on healthcare because most people now hate every significant player in the healthcare space, right? They hate every major government bureaucracy in healthcare. They hate HHS and FDA and CDC they hate the hospital systems they hate the insurance companies they definitely hate the pharmaceutical companies so if you were ever going to say come in and say we need to blow up all of this bureaucracy blow up all this stuff get back to a functioning marketplace i mean i think there's a i think there's an audience for that now much more than there ever has been and you know when you don't seize that and make the argument for a market approach you let the democrats say all these things you hate can be cured by government taking over completely. And they that that is basically the argument they've been making.
0: Well, and and again, it's because when you default on on an issue, you allow your opponents to to basically fill the square on it, right? They 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 get to go wall to wall on it without any sort of um, response back at all. And that's I mean that simply is unsustainable in a in a two-party political system. It just doesn't work. Um So yeah, I mean, this is the time that we, and this is a good time to start doing this, right? Because I think we can have some of these discussions in the primary, but we have to make sure that the nominee, you know, I'm talking about this, the presidential context, some of this is going to be in Senate contests and House contests as well. So people who are advancing towards representing the Republican Party, and I know that AmericanCommitment.org is not a you know, so we're nonpartisan,
1: but we're very conservative. So one party <laughs> listens to us sometimes, the other party listens to us never. So,
0: right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I I don't want to leave the impression that you're endorsing one or the other. But, you know, if the Republicans are going to get involved in this, their candidates are going to have to start coming up to speed on these issues and learning how to talk about them <laughs> in a way that's clear and makes the it's a complex situation. But there are some there are some key um fundamentals to this one is which price caps means you're not going to get your drugs you put price caps on things you're not going to get your drugs
1: it'll be there'll be shortages there'll be rationing you won't and be by able the way that. seniors are much smarter than they're giving credit for I and mean, we did a poll recently we said you know will the price controls in the inflation reduction act reduce the number of drugs that are available and 80 percent of seniors said yes 80 percent. good so they're well, not they're not seeing that in the newspaper but they have common sense
0: uh, well, they have seen, they have seen that in their lifetimes. I mean, it's, I'm not a, well, I guess I am a senior <laughs> or I'm getting or I'm close enough. Right. Cause I'm, I'm 60. So I, I guess I've climbed into or just about. Yeah, we
1: actually pulled 55 plus. So you would have been in the survey.
0: Uh, see, there you go. There you go. But I mean, we've, we've experienced price caps and quasi price caps in our lifetimes. And we understand, I mean, anybody who sat through the 1973 and 1979 um, gas shortages understood that it wasn't a it wasn't a firm price cap but there was a cap on how to you know a tax structure that punished again going back to the oil industry as an analog to what you're talking about here with manufacturers there was a tax structure that punished new exploration new drilling and new extraction of oil and even punished to a certain extent refining new refining capacity right um and the result was, was that uh, yeah the prices stayed low. <laughs> but you
1: couldn't get any gas right well i you know i think that um i don't know expect to be very expect to be extremely frustrated by the way the media covers the uh, announcement oh, yeah yeah that they're gonna sub- subject to negotiation and they won't even explain that it's not a real negotiation and they're gonna it's all gonna be positive and one-sided and so i i appreciate you having me on to present the other side but i don't know how much people are gonna see it in the actual papers and network tv
0: Well, let's just keep making sure that we talk about it here and try to get it out to our readers. And those readers can, uh, you know, readers and watchers and listeners can get this out to their friends their family and uh, get this into the public square. Uh, You can also go to AmericanCommitment.org to find out more about this. And um, Phil, just quickly, what else are you working on at AmericanCommitment.org?
1: Well, what we're we're doing this summer, uh, you know, because Congress has took a seven-week August recess, which is the longest August ever, seven weeks. I usually actually like when they stay away because it's less mischief, but uh, there are a lot of damaging regulations, regulatory proposals from the administration. So we've been asking our email list, you know, once or twice a week to weigh in with public comments on things like uh, various anti-energy regulations at EPA and on offshore drilling. And uh, we've got Uh, there was just a proposal on child care subsidies we had people weigh in on with with hhs where they're going to totally they're going to make the structure like obamacare where if you get child care subsidies you're capped as a percentage of income so the price is going to go up haywire taxpayers are going to pick up the whole increase and people who make too much money to qualify for subsidies are going to be locked out so we're kind of trying to find the things that are happening in the administration, in the bureaucracy, and make people aware of them and weigh in on that. That's kind of our summer project. And then, of course, when Congress does come back, we'll probably be pretty focused on appropriations, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out and try to try to at least get them to not break the caps that they just agreed to in that ceiling deal. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, again, we'll we'll see how that goes. But you can go to AmericanCommitment.org. dot um, You can go to at kirpen, uh to find Phil on uh x or twitter or whatever you want to call it these days um i'm you know i'm part of the uh, clearly now i am part of the get off my damn lawn contingent so i'm just going to continue to call it twitter
1: uh yeah my my phone is not set to auto update apps i like to update them when i want them so mine is still twitter on there and i'll keep it mine auto updated no i don't like auto update i don't trust it
0: well i guess i i should have listened to you phil kirpin from american as should everybody else. Bill, thanks so much for doing this today. And we'll talk again soon.
1: All right. Have a good one. Thanks.